thank you, Father, for your spirit being here with us. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will lead and guide us into all truth concerning all things. We thank you, Father, that you will give us, Father, the food in which we need, Father, for our souls. And let us take it, Father, and receive it with gladness. We thank you, Father, for your joy. We thank you for your peace, your long-suffering, and your patience, Father, toward us. Let us represent your household well, Father. Let you get the glory off of all of our lives, every part of it, Father, every circumstance, every situation. And we thank you, Father, for what you are doing. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen. All right, I will not be with you long tonight. But we are starting a new series. And the new series in which we are starting is called The Measure of a Woman. And this series is a definitely a more mature series than what probably uh, we're used to. But in any case, it's the one that the Father chose for me to teach. So this series is about really changing the face of what society says a woman is made of. Her worth, her image, her purpose, and her superpower that women possess when, of course, they stay in alignment with the word of God. So this series will go all the way throughout the year. That's how long it is. <laughs> this series will go all the way throughout the year. So let's begin with the first lesson for this series, and it is entitled, The Adornment of a Woman. The Adornment of a Woman. And for those that's listening on the podcast, it's A-D-O-R-N-M-E-N-T, adornment of a woman. And I want to begin here because there's been so much emphasis on the outward appearance of a woman, such as her makeup, her jewelry, her hair, um, even women using, sadly to say, their bodies as a weapon in church to control and also to tempt men. Um, we have fitness exercises, exercise videos turning into porn videos. We have you know emphasis on wigs and braids and name brands, you name it. It's so much emphasis on what they say a woman is supposed to be made out of or the measure of a woman. Now, we all know, of course, that we should always take care of our personal appearances. We're supposed to eat right, we're supposed to exercise, and so that we know is an obvious point. So we're not gonna focus on the obvious. We're not gonna focus on the obvious because even Paul told us that, that bodily exercise profits us some, but we're not gonna focus on the obvious. What we will focus on is the non-obvious. So 
The obvious in which we're going to focus on is how do women adorn themselves spiritually? How do women adorn themselves spiritually? What? So, what are women's clothing supposed to consist of from a spiritual perspective? So remember, this world in which we see in all that's in it is a shadow. It's a shadow of what already actually is already in the spirit realm. So we know that. So if we're wearing clothing on our natural body, surely the spirit man wears clothes too. So if we think about it, and it's totally scriptural, we think about Adam and Eve in the, the Garden of Eden, before the fall, the Bible said that they realized that they were naked after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, prior to that, they were naked in the garden, but it had literally no bearing on them that they were naked, and it was because they were spiritually clothed. So, for example, I've had a lot of dreams in the past and in my spiritual walk, and then I've interpreted also a lot of dreams for other people in which they said, this part of my clothing was off and I was naked here and naked there. And so they always want to know, what does that mean? And when it comes down to the bottom line of things with your clothes being off spiritually in a dream, it literally means that you have taken off something in regards to Christ. You have either lost love, you've lost patience, you lost long-suffering, you have lost some of your spiritual clothing. And so that's why I want to emphasize this tonight because so much emphasis is placed on the way in which everything in which we see from a natural perspective in which we see that a woman is made of, but from a spiritual standpoint, there is way more to a woman than how she dresses and how she wears her hair and everything that falls into that category in which society says that this is what a woman is. So, let's see. So I'm gonna take you through some scriptures, not in its entirety, of course, but the ones in which they stood out to me in which the Holy Spirit also revealed to me to teach on. So the first revelation that I want you to take note of is that, and I think I have it on the slide up here, is that you can't put new clothing on the old man. You must first put on the new man, then put clothes on the new man. You can't put new clothing on the old man. You must first put on the new man, then put clothes on the new man. So your father, of course, has saved you, not only to give you a purpose in a home, but he also saved you in order for you to bring forth some of the virtues in which 
is inside of your father in which you have the DNA of your father. So he didn't just save you for a purpose. He didn't just save you to give you a home. He also saved you so you can bring forth some of the virtues that's in your DNA and so people can actually see those virtues. Amen. And even as new clothing is put on the new man, of course, a new mind is the only thing that can sustain the new clothes that you put on the new man. I'll say that again. Even as we put on new clothes on the new man, the new mind is the only thing that can sustain the new clothing that you put on. So this is the process. I got the process up here for you. This is the process. This is the process. This is the process. You want to take off, or as the Bible says, you want to lay aside the old man. Once you do that, you're going to put the new man on. Now, the creation of the new mind helps the new man to stay. And from there, you put on the new spiritual clothing. From putting on the new spiritual clothing, you're going to walk in the spirit. From walking in the spirit, then you can put on the armor of God. But a lot of times we want to put on the armor of God, and we haven't took off the old man. We haven't put the new man on. We don't have a new mind. We don't have spiritual clothing on. We're not walking in the spirit, but we want to skip to the last step and put on the armor. We have to do all of that before the armor is put on. So I want to go through some spiritual truths that we either already have probably beat into your head. But with that, I'm going to include some other spiritual truths that I want you also to remember um, in the course of this ministry. Now, the first spiritual truth is which you already know, that God is your father and that we are the children of God. And once we came into the family of God, that the father had an obligation to take care of his children in every way possible. He's trying to get you to the destiny. He's trying to get you to your purpose. And so that is one spiritual truth we know, and that's really what this ministry's foundation is. Now, the second spiritual truth is what I would call the orphan spirit versus the orphan heart. Now. Of course, when you came into the family of God, the Bible says that you did not receive a spirit to fear again. Okay? There was an exchange. You exchanged your orphan spirit for the spirit of adoption. So you do not, if you are born again and you have received Christ with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in other tongues, you do not have the orphan spirit. What you are working with now is your orphan heart. You do not have the orphan spirit. You are now working on healing the orphan heart. Now, number three, what I want to include in this is the nine fruits of the spirit versus the seven pieces of the armor of God. Because we always kind of get these things interchanged. So what I want you to remember about this is that we are not fighting the enemy. 
we are not fighting the enemy, okay? The Bible says that his powers have been dismantled and we are seated above him um, in heavenly places. So the weapons of our warfare are for our own mindset. It is not for the enemy. The weapons of our warfare is for our mindset. It is not for the enemy. So, the weapons that we use against, if we want to say the enemy, to win are the development of the fruits of the spirit. Love defeats the enemy. Patience defeats the enemy. Joy defeats the enemy. Long-suffering defeats the enemy. Kindness defeats the enemy. Generosity defeats the enemy. Faithfulness defeats the enemy. Gentleness defeats the enemy. And self-control defeats the enemy. These are the weapons, if we would say, that defeats the enemy, okay? Which are the nine fruits of the spirit. You use the nine fruits of the spirit on the enemy. Now, but the weapons that we use to bring our own strongholds down in our own mind, casting down vain imaginations, evil thoughts that go against what your father said, is defeated with the seven pieces of the armor of God. And that is righteousness, the gospel of peace, salvation, truth, faith, the sword of the spirit, which is the word, and praying in the spirit. These are the things in which, these are the seven pieces of armor that you use for your mind. So we have the nine fruits of the spirit that we use for the enemy, if we want to say that word. And then we have the seven pieces of armor, of the armor of God that we use for our own mindsets. Now, the seven pieces of armor defeats the old man. And that's what we are trying, of course, to get rid of. So you need to kill and put off, like the Bible said, both. You need to kill and put off both the enemy, if you want to say that, and your own mindset. Because the enemy can use the unwillingness for you to develop in your spiritual walk, or he will use your own mind to defeat you. I'll say that again. He will use your unwillingness for you to develop in your spiritual walk, which is the nine fruits of the spirit. He'll use that against you if you're not developing spiritually. And if you are developing in that area, he'll try to defeat you by using your own mindset against you. And that's why you have to use the seven pieces of armor to defeat him. So, 
He cannot gain access to a new man because the Bible says that when you put on Christ, it's an incorruptible seed. So he can't, he doesn't have access to an incorruptible seed. He can't gain access through a renewed mind if you have the mind of Christ. So he got you covered in both areas. So now we're gonna go to some definitions because before we actually go into the, the actual meat of the message of the adornment of a woman, we're gonna go through put off and we're gonna go through put on slash adornment and what those things mean. Now, the Bible has tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of scriptures that says put off, put off, put off, put off. And so put off means to remove yourself of any false identities. It means to remove any bad practices that you may have to remove any bad habits, remove any bad attitudes, remove any bad thoughts, and to remove any bad behaviors. When it's telling you to put off, this is really what, this is the, the, the broad of a category in which it's telling you to put off, depending on what scripture that you're reading. This is what I call the core curriculum in the school of Christ, to put off. It is a requirement for sonship. You cannot develop in sonship unless you're putting off some things. Now, in a legalistic manner, if we was in a legalistic school, you would take moral self-improvement courses in which or you are given the assignment to make your own set of moral clothing from a legalistic standpoint. But Abba is not asking you to do that. So in the school of grace in which we are in, the new clothes have already been created. You're not creating your own clothing. That would be legalistic. So when he tells you to put off something and put on something, he's telling you when he tells you to put on something, he said it's already been created. I'm not asking you to create anything. I'm asking you to put it on and to keep it on. So the Father has already created the person that we must put on. We just need to conform to what? The image of Christ. We already have what we need to conform to. We're not recreating what we need to conform to. We already have what we need to conform to, and that's the image of Christ. Now, that takes me to the word adorn or put on. Now, when we put on something, or the Bible says to adorn yourself with something, when you adorn yourself with anything, what you're doing, you're displaying the beauty or the excellence of something. You're displaying the glory of the one that you're representing by bringing forth the qualities that have been already given to you. To bring a particular quality of Christ forward that has been conformed or transformed in you while at the same time allowing it to remain. So some of us here are naturally wearing clothes, but some of us here are also missing some spiritual clothing. 
we might not even know we're missing it. So let's get into the meat of the message. We're going to go to Galatians 3, 26 through 27. Galatians 3, 26 through 27. And it says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, which we won't go into that, but as you can see, there, there is a second type of baptism. Um, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So remember, we're talking about the adornment of a woman, the clothing of a spiritual woman. He says that you have clothed yourself with Christ. So the first thing I want to point out is the statement in verse 26, which is a revolutionary statement that Paul says that, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Now, he points this out before he says that you have clothed yourself in Christ. So what he's showing you is that there is a special relationship here. That when you receive Christ, you receive not only Christ, but now you receive a father. And now that you are children, and since you are children and you did receive Christ, you have now received the clothing, which is Christ, that you have put on. Now, when he says put on, this is what he's saying. I think I have it up here, the definition as well. He says to, you have clothed yourself in Christ. So what is he saying? To sink into clothing, to clothe oneself, to array as one who is part of a royal, predominantly a royal priesthood or royalty. You have been endued to provide or to be given the traits and the quality of Christ. He said you have put on Christ. Now, put on or, or clothe yourself with Christ. The word clothe also means to invest. Now, invest means to, this is what he did, to put valuable resources into something that you will expect will give you a personal or a financial gain. So when the seed of Christ went in you, and when the seed went in, the Father is expecting a return from you, therefore, you have put on. Now, it says here that you have put on. You have put on. And what is he saying? Keep on what you have been given. Keep on Christ what you have already been given. Now, he gave you back the royal spiritual clothing that Adam and Eve lost in the garden that validated that you were true sons and daughters of God. And we see it all through scripture, just like the prodigal son. What happened when he returned back? His clothing, his ring, his jewelry, everything was restored. So the first thing that you need and must know is that the adornment of a woman begins first with a baptism into Christ to restore her royal clothing as a daughter of God. It's because we got to go through foundation before we build up. Number two, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. 
Ephesians 4, through 24, and it says that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There's a whole lot in this scripture. So, verse 22, it says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So, there should be, of course, there should be no conversation with the old man. We always talk about having, you know, having a conversation with the devil and the things he's putting in our mind. But what about the conversation that you're having with the old man? The one that tells you, well, I'm going to give her a piece of my mind. The one that says, well, I don't think it should be like that. I don't think it's fair. You're having a conversation with the old man. Well, I'm not going to do it because they didn't do that for me. You having a conversation with the old man because that's what the old man would do. You're not having a conversation with Satan. You're having a conversation with the old man. So, for instance, we have, if we have a prisoner coming out of jail, okay, and, <laughs> and a lot of times you can tell when somebody is just fresh out the pen. They got them khaki pants on, it's just starch, it's, it's creased, they got the white t-shirt on, and you like, oh, he, he fresh, he fresh out of jail. And so you can tell where the person came from by the way in which they're dressed. So, let's say, you know, he's out, and, and the first thing that, as he's just trying to find his way through society, depending on how long that person's been in jail, or she, the first thing that they realize is that I need to change my clothes. I need to blend in with society better and I can't be wearing these prison clothes because I'm gonna be identified as one that just freshly came out of jail. So the first thing a prisoner does is changes his clothes or her clothes. Now, even though the prisoner changes their clothing, we still have the prison mindset still there. So they, they still getting up at 3 a.m. doing 1,500 push-ups. When they eat, they still boxed in like this, like nobody's gonna steal your food, it's just you in the apartment. They still have that prison mentality. And so, and they still have all of these habits. So for a lot of prisoners, that transition is very hard to come back into society. And the longer they have been in prison, the harder it is to transition. And that, how, that is how it is for us when we step into the family of God. We have to learn all of his ways. We have to learn what he wants. We got to learn the language. We got to learn about dreams. We got to learn about visions. When one time we were showing a whole bunch of cleavage, we got to cover that up and all this other stuff. We might have been wearing some mini skirts, but like, we can't wear that no more. And so it's the same process. So the father does not add. We want to. We I want to get this established. Is that the father does not add to our old life. 
He don't add to the old man. So if the old man is hanging around, he's not adding to the old man at all. He's not, because that's what we call reinforcement. So he's not going to add to the old man. The old life is gone, the Bible says, and behold, the new has come. So now, I'm not going to tell you to do something without telling you how to do it, okay? Because we've been there before in churches. They tell you, have faith. And you're like, how do you do that? And then you, you go home. That was a good message, but I can't apply it. So we're going to apply the word. So how do I, as the word says in verse 23, and be renewed now, we also, let me say this first. When we read verse 23, it's like we read it and, we, and it's running together with words. And we say, and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And we think, because actually when I was reading this and I actually was um, asking my husband, Apostle, about this, and I'm like, how does the mind have a spirit? Because the way in which this is wrote, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, as if the mind has a spirit. But as I begin to look it up and look at definitions in Greek and get some more understanding about it, that's literally not how it's supposed to be read at all. It's literally supposed to be read and, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Not running together as if the mind has the spirit but be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So let me show you how that works. Now, renewed in the spirit of your mind. What does that mean? That means to allow the Holy Spirit to transform your soul through your mind so that your motives for the way you think or your disposition, now remember what disposition is. Disposition is your attitude and your behavior, okay? So it is allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your soul through your mind so that your motives for the way in which you think or your disposition reflects that you want to live for the glory of your Father and not your own. We're going to get into more of how to do this. Just breaking down some basic definitions right now. Now, it also says, and put on the new men, verse 24, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. It's like he's giving you the answer to this stuff all the time. It's like answers to a test every single time. If you want to put on a new man, okay, how do you do that? He's saying it's which is created after, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So part of your spiritual clothing to put on is righteousness and holiness. So, righteousness. Righteousness is the state of him or her who is as he ought to be. So it's like, what does that mean? It's this. He has already declared you righteous. So guess what? Your attitudes, your thoughts, and behavior should reflect what you have already received. The state of him who as he ought to be the condition that is acceptable to God. 
So you are matching in word and in deed what he already said about you. It's your integrity. This is what righteousness is. Integrity is virtue. It's practicing righteousness. It's the correct way of thinking. The correct way of feeling. And the correct way of acting as well. So let's go into an example of how to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And the topic that we're going to do for an example is love. How do you be renewed in the spirit of your mind concerning love? Now, he has you covered. The thing I, I love about the Father is that he covers every single basis that you might be, be struggling in. He got you covered with scriptures on all levels so that you can win. And so this is how this looks. So if we are being renewed in the spirit of our mind concerning the topic of love, now from the mind's perspective, he tells us forgive one another, consider one another, restore one another in meekness. When he comes to you from a thought's perspective, if you're having problems in your thought process concerning love, he, told you, he tells you how to do this thing. He says, Philippians 4 and 8, whatsoever things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of a good report, virtue, praise. He tells you, think on these things. That is how you're going to keep your spiritual clothes on this new man. If you're having problems in your thought, he says, think on these things then if you're having problems. The last thing is, say, okay, I got the my whole mind thing covered and my thoughts are pretty okay, but it's really in my behavior, in my actions. He said, I got you covered. So to cover this thing as far as your action is concerned, he tells you love is patient. Love is kind. It's not self-seeking keeps no record of wrong, it doesn't boast, it's not easily angered, it rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. So he got us covers from our mind, our thoughts, and our action so that we can keep on the new man. So it also talked about in verse, where we were, 24, he said, created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, we went over righteousness. Now, holiness. Holiness is piety towards God, fidelity in observing the obligations of piety and holiness. And I know that's like, okay, what does that mean? Piety, fidelity, give me a real word that I can use. Okay, so piety or fidelity is pretty much a devout act. It's a thought, it's a statement, as of reverence to parents and of a family. Talking about holiness. It is an outward manifestation of an inward reverence for the Father through a profound respect and love for the one that is parenting you. 
I will say that again. It is an outward manifestation, talking about holiness, of an inward reverence for the Father through a profound respect and love for the one who is parenting you. That's why he says, be holy, for I am holy. Be like your Father who is in heaven. Be a direct replica of your Father on earth. Now, when you're practicing righteousness and holiness, it translates into actions that allow you to put on the new man. When you're practicing righteousness and holiness, it translates into actions that allow you to put on the new man. But remember, the new man can only stay and be as strong as the effort you put into renewing the mind. So the new man is not gonna stay if you're not renewing the mind. The old man gonna show back up. Because if the mind is not renewed, there is no way that the new man can stay. And that's why Paul kept declaring, put on, put on put on, because some people kept taking them off. It's a declarative statement. Keep on what you have received. Now, so we're gonna look at it this way. So, we know that the Bible says what? That new wine cannot do what? Going old wineskins. Wine we understand that concept. We understand that very well that new wine cannot go in old wine skin. So likewise, can I get the next one? So likewise, the same concept, a new spirit needs a new mind. A new spirit needs new thoughts. A new spirit needs a new heart. A new spirit needs a new life. If old wine can't go in old wine skins, then guess what? <laughs> the spirit needs a new mind. New thoughts, new heart, new life, new way of doing everything. And that is the most probably uncomfortable thing about growing into Christ all this new, 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 new. It's uncomfortable because you're constantly, constantly, constantly putting the old man to death, old thoughts to death, old behaviors to death, old actions to death. That uncomfortable ability that you're feeling is just that dying process that has to happen to that old man so that the new man can come forward. But at the same time, these are your spiritual clothing. And that's why Adam and Eve, when they were naked, they really was not naked. They had on Christ. And that's why they were unbothered by their nakedness. Christ was covering every part of their soul. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. We get into more deeper things. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must, must 
clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you, anyone. Your mama, your daddy, your sister, your husband, your cousin, Ray Ray and Nook. Anyone, it says anyone, if they're your enemy. He, he said anyone, forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, and why, why does he tell us this? He says, remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. And then he says, above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. So let's go over some of these pieces of clothing. The first one he said is tender-hearted mercy. It's a piece of clothing that you should have on spiritually as a woman of God. Now, tender-hearted mercy is a heart of compassion. He says, put on kindness. What is kindness? Moral goodness, integrity. Be a woman of good deed or that does favors for people. Be a woman of grace, a woman of charity, a woman of goodwill. He said, put this on, this is your clothing. He says, put on humility. What is humility? Humbleness of mind having a humble opinion of yourself, modesty, lowliness of mind, without pride, sitting at your father's feet, learning from your father, because he said, what, learn from me. He's the best person to learn from. <laughs> he said, I'm meek and lowly and humble of heart. He says, put on gentleness. What is gentleness? A mildness, a meekness, submission. Oh, they go that spiritual cuss word. <laughs> Patience, long-suffering, forbearance, obedience. That's what gentleness is. He says put on patience. Some of us got short fuses. <laughs> so we missing some spiritual clothing. Put on patience, he said. What is patience? Endurance consistency, steadfastness, perseverance, slowness in avenging a wrong, having self-restraint. He says for us to put on or have an allowance for other people's faults, which means to sustain them, to bear them, to endure, to go through something painful or difficult patiently. He tells us to forgive offenses. He says to pardon, which means to pardon people, to give freely. And this actual definition, what I'm getting ready to say, I was like, wow, I didn't think of forgiving offenses that way, but it's, when I thought about some of the scriptures that was coming to my head, I said, yeah, that's definitely what it is that one of the definitions to forgive offenses was to preserve another person's danger risk or jeopardy 
You're preserving another person's danger, their risk, and their jeopardy. And I'm thinking to myself, how can you do that? And so the Holy Spirit took me to when Jesus was on the cross. And he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So in that moment, when he told the Father to forgive them, he literally held back the hand of God from their life. They were, at, they were in danger of what the Father's consequences. So when he spoke out of his mouth, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. What he did, he preserved their danger or their risk of what the Father could have done to them. So when we forgive others, that's what we're doing. We're preserving them from what the Father would do because of what they did to us. And he says, above all, put on love. And that love is agape love. And this love in which he's talking about, and he puts it at the end because it, it literally is the summary of all the things mentioned together in the scriptures that we just read and went through. So the first thing to point out is this, that each of these qualities listed, that we just listed in scripture, tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentle, patience, allowing for faults, forgiving offenses, every single one of these, every single one of these, now pay attention to what I'm just saying, every single one of these that we just went over and through and listed in scripture has to do with a personal relationship between people. It has to do with the relationship. Every single one of these has to do with relationships with people. Why not mention diligence? Why, why not mention diligence in this? Because the greatest Christian values will always be those that govern the human relationship. The greatest Christian values that we will read about in the Bible or we can also say the greatest Christian graces, or we can also say the greatest Christian virtues that are in this Bible will always be those that govern the human relationship because that's what Abba is after, the people. So love is literally the whole garment. So you really don't have to worry about being compassionate or kind or humility or gentle or patience or allowing for faults or forgiving offenses if you just operate in love. You have on the whole garment in the spirit. You're missing no clothing as a woman of God in the spirit if you just operate in love. But if you don't operate in love and you're struggling, <laughs> We're dealing with these pieces of clothing. Let's go to 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6. 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6. And it says, who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and of the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, 
which is in the sight of God of great price. For after the manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. That's a whole lot. First thing, the hidden, it says, the hidden, but let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit. So let's deal with the hidden heart of a woman. Now, the hidden heart of a woman is revealed within her submission to Christ. The hidden heart of a woman is revealed within her submission to Christ. But if she is married, because it covered that part, if she is married and Christ said, and we know he said, that man is over woman, when you submit to your husband, you are in submission to Christ because that's the chain of command. And when you do that, the Bible says, you get an imperishable beauty that, protect, that projects outward but you can't have this without making the soul get in alignment with what Abba said. Which makes the soul do what? Have a meek and a quiet spirit. Why? Because it's in submission. It's an automatic byproduct. And the thing about and I'll be teaching that next year. The thing about the topic of submission, it's been, boy, it's been beat down. <laughs> submission has been really beat down. But when I do start teaching on the topic of submission, I'm going to go through the scriptures and just show not only just women, just from a spiritual standpoint, just about submission, that how much of I call it a superpower, but how much of a superpower submission is and how much of a blessing submission is and how much of a blessing it brings towards you when you submit. Because submission has been just chopped down to the whole thing of control, and that's not what submission is. So remember, when a woman a woman's heart is revealed within her submission to Christ. But if she is married, and Christ said that man is over woman, when you submit to your husband, you are in submission to Christ. So the next thing that we want to talk about is it talked about in verse 4, meek and a gentle spirit. What is meek and a gentle spirit? Meek and a gentle spirit is a mildness of a disposition, a mildness in your attitude, and a mildness in your behavior. So meekness towards the Father is that disposition of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good. 
And therefore, without disputing, because you know, women, we do a whole lot of disputing. We remember stuff from back from 1990. <laughs> without disputing or resisting. In the Old Testament, the meek were those who wholly relied on God rather than their own strength to defend themselves against something that happened to them that was an injustice. They relied wholly on God in the Old Testament to make that situation good for them instead of trying to make the situation good according to what they thought. So meekness towards evil people means knowing the Father is allowing the injustice to happen and that he is using the person to purify his children and that he will deliver his children in his timing. Gentleness or meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It stems from trusting the Father's goodness and control over the situation. And a lot of times, I've been there, that's where you, a lot of women get themselves in trouble when they're married. When their husband says something and then they go against what their husband said, they find themselves getting into trouble because what's supposed to happen is they're supposed to, no matter what he said, you may not have liked it, you may not have liked his decision, the first thing you're supposed to do is your disposition is supposed to be mild, number one. Your attitude and your behavior towards what he did or the decision which he made is supposed to be mild. You're supposed to take that back to the Father because the Word says that Christ is over him. Then you take that back to, to Christ and say, you know what, I did not like what he said to me. I didn't like the, I didn't think that he made the best decision. And after you prayed that, you leave it there and you trust that God will either talk to him about the situation or the matter will be corrected. And that's through the actual order in which God said to do it. But when we get in trouble is when we start going back and forward. Well, I don't think you should do this. Well, I think you made the wrong decision. Well, we should do it like this. Well, I'm not going to do it. And so the father's like, I thought I said I was over him. <laughs> the superpower is when you say, okay, and you go back and take it in prayer. The father going to move immediately. I've experienced it too much. <laughs> immediately immediately but if you don't do that the father's like I can't do nothing can't do nothing at all <laughs> you did it <laughs> okay now you got to go back and say I'm sorry I shouldn't have did that <laughs> and now once it's been restored <laughs> then you can go back to the father but the father is always a, a God. He's always the father of order. He, he, not, he is not going to get out of order. So that's why I say there is a superpower with just remaining in order. <laughs> I've dated too many times. Help, Baba. Help, Baba. <laughs> Help, Baba. I know, right? <laughs> 
Now, uh, keeping in mind, gentleness and meekness, like I said, is the opposite of self-interest, okay? So, the gentle person is not occupied with their self at all. They're not self-absorbed, they're not a narcissist, okay? It's the work of the Holy Spirit, it's not the human will. The Holy Spirit is doing the work. You have to allow the Spirit to do its work. It has to go over the human will, and you have to allow it to, because it's doing a perfect work in you. Now, in verse 5, Peter reminds us that this is not a new standard. He tells us in verse 5, he says, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves. So he's telling you, look, this is not nothing new. Peter's not making this up. This is not nothing new that I'm coming to you with. The old women used to do this back in the Old Testament in the Bible. This is not a new standard. This is a standard that has always been that he is calling us to because we have to get to the point where we're literally practicing these concepts and keeping our spiritual clothing on. A gentle and a quiet spirit are two character traits for women that are not promoted by our culture. All the stuff that you see on TV is pretty much a loud mouth woman, if I'm just being honest and real. <laughs> loud, boisterous, fussing, fighting, complaining, all of that and more. So when I say a gentle and a quiet spirit, that's almost like a cuss word. Like a what? Because they're, they're character traits that are not promoted in our culture. But yet, verse four says that the father, in the father's sight, they carry a precious and a great price. Isn't that peculiar, how that's not promoted in the culture of women? But at the same time, the father says, when I find a woman that has a meek and a quiet spirit, it carries a great blessing with it. First Timothy 2, 9 through 10. And I'm gonna read both uh, translations, King James and the New Living Translation. It says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. New Living Translation says, and I want women to be modest in their appearance. They should wear decent and appropriate clothing and not draw attention to themselves by the way they fix their hair or by wearing gold or pearls or expensive clothes. For women who claim to be devoted to God should make themselves attractive by the good things that they do. Now, there are two things that the scripture brings out. First is how to dress. Second is where the emphasis should be placed on according to this topic. Now, how to dress, modest. So, 
we may ask ourselves, okay, what is dressing modesty? Because it seems like it's a real broad kind of topic to dress modest. What does that even look like? So I'm gonna take you through some questions that when you are getting ready to dress, that's gonna help you determine if you're dressed as modest. So the first question is, is it appropriate for the occasion? Where I'm going, whether it's church, um, a, a gala, to the grocery store, over my friend's house, to my family's house, is what I have on appropriate for the occasion? First thing. Second thing is this. Is it going to cause inappropriate attention to myself? If what I have on, is it going to cause inappropriate attention to myself? The other question is, does it show too much? Does it show too much? And the last question, do I have it up there? Yes, I do. Is what was my motive when I picked it? What was my motive when I picked it? Did I want people to see that I had a big old butt? Did I want somebody to see that I have all these curves? <laughs> what was my motive when I picked the clothing? And that will let you know, when you go through these questions, that will let you know if I'm dressing modest. Because how you dress reflects your heart. How you dress reflects your heart. If a man dresses in a casual manner all the time, it says something about his attitude. And what it says about his attitude is that he's laid back. He's a laid back type of guy. Likewise, if a woman dresses in an immodest manner, it says something about her heart. Verse 10 gives us our clothing that we should focus on. It says, for women who claim to be set aside for the Father's use should make herself attractive by the good things that she does. Which means that the good things that you do, whether somebody's watching you or not, is actually translates in the spirit to spiritual clothing. If a woman is dressed in modest apparel and she does good works, Abba says that you are perfectly dressed. If a woman dresses modesty, modestly and you incorporate her good works in what she does, the Bible says that she is dressed perfectly. So good works makes a woman more beautiful than expensive jewelry. <laughs> I was just thinking about the scripture that we read before that, when it talked about a, a meek and a quiet spirit in 1 Peter 3, 3 through 6. And it just came to me. It says, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, 
meaning that a meek and a quiet spirit is actually translates over into jewelry. It's an ornament that you wear. So when you have a meek and a quiet spirit, it's actually jewelry that you wear in the spirit. So let's see, we are at, I believe the last scripture before we close out. And that's Proverbs 31, 30 through 31. Proverbs 31, 30 through 31. It says that charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Now he says, he starts off by saying, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing. Now, why is charm deceitful? Because it gives a false representation of the person. It gives a cover for a deformed soul. Charm gives a cover for a deformed soul. Pretty much sheep clothing, <laughs> but you really a, a wolf. <laughs> it has lies deceitful. So once again, physical appearance is not being dismissed. So I want to emphasize that because it's like, well, what you saying that we should not? Nope. I'm not saying that your physical appearance should be neglected or dismissed. What I'm simply saying is that it does not endure as long as the qualities that of reverencing your father produces. It just does not last. So, for example, the one who pursues beauty may very well be disappointed by the character of a beautiful person. So for instance, men who seek the outward appearance of women become disappointed after a while or some time passes because after that time passes and that beauty begins to wear off and wear him down, <laughs> the heart begins to become exposed. And the exposure of the heart of a woman can turn the most beautiful woman in the world and reduce her down to nothing. Only good to be used for the satisfying of a sexual desire is that's where we are. Only good enough to be used for a sexual desire. Not good enough to, to marry, not good enough to bring home to mama, not good enough to stay with for the rest of your life because beauty fades. And if beauty still remains upon a woman and you are living with her, or this even applies to men and him being handsome, after a period of time he starts talking crazy to you, he's like, he ain't as handsome as I thought he was. And that stuff, it, it, it just don't matter no more. His handsomeness, his financial stability, all of that don't matter. How many cars he got, 
the very fact that his heart is not good, it overrides all of it, all of it. So charm and beauty are not bad. Let's say this again, charm and beauty are not bad things. They simply are inadequate reasons to marry a woman or a man. Men should first seek a woman who fears her father, meaning Abba. And whoever finds a woman, the Bible says he obtains favor from the Lord. The fact that she truly fears her father shows that she has a real relationship with Abba. She is not only just a Martha with the hustle and the bustle of the busyness of the day and getting things done, but she is also a Martha, one who is in fear and reverence of Abba that sits and learns from him. So the fear of the Lord means, in part, living according to the wisdom that is revealed to you, whether it's through the Rima word or the Logos word. So these are your clothing, your garments, as daughters of the king. Amen? Amen. 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 So I'm just going to pray out. And tonight... There's no prophetic demonstration. The thing in which the Father wanted me to do was really just to end this thing with worship. 